0: Volume 10, Chapter 4 of Cecilia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Francis Marsonkavage. Cecilia: Memoirs of an Heiress by Francis Burney, Volume 10, Chapter 4, A Deliberation. It was necessary, however, not to moralize, but to act. Cecilia had undertaken to give her answer in a week, and the artful attorney had drawn from her an acknowledgment of her situation, by which he might claim it yet sooner. The lawsuit with which she was threatened for the arrears of eight months alarmed her none, though it shocked her, as she was certain she could prove her marriage so much later. It was easy to perceive that this man had been sent with a view of working from her a confession, and terrifying from her some money. The confession, indeed, in conscious and honesty, she could not wholly elude, but she had suffered too often by a facility in parting with money to be there easily duped. Nothing, however, was more true than that she now lived upon an estate of which she was no longer the owner, and that all she either spent or received was to be accounted for and returned, since by the will of her uncle, unless her husband took her name, her estate on the very day of her marriage was to be forfeited, and entered upon by the Egglestons. Delvile's plan and hope of secrecy had made them little way this matter, though this premature discovery so unexpectedly exposed her to their power." The first thought that occurred to her was to send an express to Delvile, and desire his instructions how to proceed; but she dreaded his impetuosity of temper, and was almost certain that the instant he should hear she was in any uneasiness or perplexity, he would return to her, at all hazards, even though mr Monckton were dead, and his mother herself dying. This step, therefore, she did not dare risk, preferring any personal hardship, to endangering the already precarious life of Mrs Delvile, or to hastening her son home while mr Monckton was in so desperate a situation. But though what to avoid was easy to settle, what to seek was difficult to devise. She had now no Mrs Charlton to receive her, not a creature in whom she could confide. To continue her present way of living was deeply involving Delvile in debt a circumstance she had never considered, in the confusion and hurry attending all their plans and conversations, and a circumstance which, though to him it might have occurred, he could not in common delicacy mention. Yet to have quitted her house, and retrenched her expenses, would have raised suspicions that must have anticipated the discovery she so much wished to have delayed. That wish, by the present danger of its failure, was but more ardent, to have her affairs and situation become publicly known at the present period, she felt would half distract her. Privately married, parted from her husband at the very moment of their union, a husband by whose hand the apparent friend of her earliest youth was all but killed, whose father had execrated the match, whose mother was now falling a sacrifice to the vehemence with which she had opposed it, and who himself— little short of an exile, knew not yet if, with personal safety, he might return to his native land. To circumstances so dreadful, she had now the additional shock of being uncertain whether her own house might not be seized before any other could be prepared for her reception. Yet still whither to go, what to do, or what to resolve, she was wholly unable to determine— and after meditating almost to madness in the search of some plan or expedient, she was obliged to give over the attempt, and be satisfied with remaining quietly where she was, till she had better news from Delvile of his mother, or better news to send him of Mr. Monckton, carefully, meantime, in all her letters, avoiding to alarm him by any hint of her distress. Yet was she not idle, either from despair or helplessness, she found her difficulties increased, and she called forth more resolution to combat them. She animated herself by the promise she had made Delvile, and recovering from the sadness to which she had at first given way, she now exerted herself with vigour to perform it as she ought. She began by making an immediate inspection into her affairs, and endeavouring, where expense seemed unnecessary, to lessen it, She gave Henrietta to understand she feared they must soon part, and so afflicted was the unhappy girl at the news that she found it the most cruel office she had to execute. The same intimation she gave to Mrs. Harrel, who repined at it more openly, but with a selfishness so evident that it blunted the edge of pity. She then announced to Albany her inability to pursue, at present, their extensive schemes of benevolence, and though he instantly left her to carry on his laborious plan elsewhere, the reverence she had now excited in him of her character made him leave her with no sensation but of regret, and readily promised to return when her affairs were settled, or her mind more composed. These little preparations, which were all she could make, with enquiries after mr Monckton, and writing to Delvile, sufficiently filled up her time, though her thoughts were by no means confined to them. Day after day passed, and mr Monckton continued to linger rather than live. The letters of Delvile, still only dated from Ostend, contained the most melancholy complaints of the illness of his mother; and the time advanced when her answer would be claimed by the attorney. The thought of such another visit was almost intolerable; and within two days of the time that she expected it, she resolved to endeavour herself to prevail with mr Eggleston to wait longer. mr Eggleston was a gentleman whom she knew little more than by sight: he was no relation to her family, nor had any connexion with the Dean, but by being a cousin to a lady he had married, and who had left him no children the dean had no particular regard for him and had rather mentioned him in his will as the successor of cecilia in case she died unmarried or changed her name as a mark that he approved of her doing neither than as a matter he thought probable if even possible to turn out in his favour he was a man of a large family the sons of which, who were extravagant and dissipated, had much impaired his fortune by prevailing with him to pay their debts, and much distressed him in his affairs by successfully teasing him for money. Cecilia, acquainted with these circumstances, knew but too well with what avidity her estate would be seized by them, and how little the sons would endure delay, even if the father consented to it. Yet since the sacrifice to which she had agreed must soon make it indisputably their own, she determined to deal with them openly, and acknowledged, therefore, in her letter, her marriage without disguise, but begged their patience and secrecy, and promised, in a short time, the most honourable retribution and satisfaction. She sent this letter by a man and horse, Mr. Eggleton's habitation being within fifteen miles of her own. The answer was from his eldest son, who acquainted her that his father was very ill, and had put all his affairs into the hands of Mr. Carne, his attorney, who was a man of great credit, and would see justice done on all sides. If this answer, which she broke open the instant she took it into her hand, was in itself a cruel disappointment to her, how was that disappointment embittered by shame and terror, when, upon again folding it up, she saw it was directed to Mrs. Mortimer Del Vile. This was a decisive stroke. What they wrote to her she was sure they would mention to all others. She saw they were too impatient for her estate to be moved by any representations to a delay, and that their eagerness to publish their right— took from them all consideration of what they might make her suffer mr eggleston she found permitted himself to be wholly governed by his son his son was a needy and profligate spendthrift and by throwing the management of the affair into the hands of an attorney craftily meant to shield himself from the future resentment of delvile to whom, hereafter, he might affect, at his convenience, to disapprove mr Carne's behaviour, while mr Carne was always secure, by averring he only exerted himself for the interest of his client. The discerning Cecilia, though but little experienced in business, and wholly unsuspicious by nature, yet saw into this management, and doubted not these excuses were already arranged she had only, therefore, to save herself an actual ejectment by quitting a house in which she was exposed to such a disgrace. But still whither to go she knew not. One only attempt seemed in her power for an honourable asylum, and that was more irksomely painful to her than seeking shelter in the meanest retreat. It was applying to Mr. Delvile Sr., the action of leaving her house whether quietly or forcibly could not but instantly authenticate the reports spread by the egglestons of her marriage to hope therefore for secrecy any longer would be folly and mr delvile's rage at such intelligence might be still greater to hear it by chance than from herself she now lamented that delvile had not at once told the tale But, little foreseeing such a discovery as the present, they had mutually concluded to defer the communication till his return. Her own anger at the contemptuous ill-treatment she had repeatedly met from him, she was now content not merely to suppress, but to dismiss, since, as the wife of his son without his consent, she considered herself no longer as wholly innocent of incurring it yet such was her dread of his austerity and the arrogance of his reproaches that by choice she would have preferred an habitation with her own pensioner the pew-opener to the grandest apartment in delvile castle while he continued its lord in her present situation however her choice was little to be consulted the honour of Delvile was concerned in her escaping even temporary disgrace, and nothing she knew, would so much gratify him as any attention from her to his father. She wrote to him, therefore, the following letter which he sent by an express to the honourable Compton Delville april twenty ninth, seventeen eighty Sir I should not, even by letter, presume thus to force myself upon your remembrance, did I not think it a duty I now owe your son, both to risk and to bear the displeasure it may unhappily occasion. After such an acknowledgment, all other confession would be superfluous, and uncertain as I am if you'll ever deign to own me, more words than are necessary would be merely impertinent." it was the intention of your son sir when he left the kingdom to submit wholly to your arbitration at his return which should be resigned his own name or my fortune but his request for your decision and his supplication for your forgiveness are both most unfortunately prevented by a premature and unforeseen discovery of our situation which renders an immediate determination absolutely unavoidable At this distance from him I cannot, in time, receive his directions upon the measures I have to take. Pardon me, then, sir, if well knowing my reference to him will not be more implicit than his own to you, I venture, in the present important crisis of my affairs, to entreat those commands instantly, by which I am certain of being guided ultimately. I would commend myself to your favour, but that I dread exciting your resentment— "'I will detain you, therefore, only to add "'that the father of Mr. Mortimer Delvile "'will ever meet the most profound respect from her "'who, without his permission, dare sign no name "'to the honour she now has in declaring herself "'his most humble and most obedient servant.' "'Her mind was somewhat easier when this letter was written, "'because she thought it a duty, "'yet felt reluctance in performing it she wished to have represented to him strongly the danger of delvile's hearing her distress but she knew so well his inordinate self-sufficiency she feared a hint of that sort might be construed into an insult and concluded her only chance that he would do anything was by leaving wholly to his own suggestions the weighing and settling what but though nothing was more uncertain than whether she should be received at delvile castle nothing was more fixed than that she must quit her own house, since the pride of Mr Delvile left not even a chance that his interest would conquer it. She deferred not, therefore, any longer making preparations for her removal, though wholly unsettled whither. Her first, which was also her most painful task, was to acquaint Henrietta with her situation; she sent, therefore, to desire to speak with her, but the countenance of Henrietta, shewed her communication, would not surprise her. "'What is the matter with my dear Henrietta?' cried Cecilia. "'Who is it has already afflicted that kind heart, which I am now compelled to afflict for myself?' Henrietta, in whom anger appeared to be struggling with sorrow, answered, "'No, madam, not afflicted for you. It would be strange if I were, thinking as I think.' I am glad, said Cecilia calmly, if you are not; for I would give to you, were it possible, nothing but pleasure and joy.--Ah, madam! cried Henrietta, bursting into tears, why will you say so, when you don't care what becomes of me, when you are going to cast me off, and when you will soon be too happy ever to think of me more?--If I am never happy till then, said Cecilia, Sad indeed will be my life, no, my gentlest friend, you will always have your share in my heart, and always to me would have been the welcomest guest in my house, but for those unhappy circumstances which make our separating inevitable. Yet you suffered me, madam, to hear from anybody that you was married and going away, and all the common servants in the house knew it before me. I am amazed, said Cecilia. How and which way can they have heard it? The man that went to Mr. Eggleston brought the first news of it, for he said all the servants there talked of nothing else, and that their master was to come and take possession here next Thursday. Cecilia started at this most unwelcome intelligence. "'Yet you envy me?' she cried. "'Henrietta, though I am forced from my house, though in quitting it I am unprovided with any other— and though him for whom I relinquish it is far off, without means of protecting or power of returning to me? But you are married to him, madam, cried she expressively. True, my love, but also I am parted from him. Oh, how differently, exclaimed Henrietta, do the great think from the little. Were I married— and so married, I should want neither house, nor fine clothes, nor riches, nor anything. I should not care where I lived. Every place would be paradise. I would walk to him barefoot if he were a thousand miles off, and I should mind nobody else in the world while I had him to take care of me. Ah, Delvile thought Cecilia, what powers of fascination are yours!— "'Should I be tempted to repine at what I have to bear, "'I will think of this heroic girl and blush.' "'Mrs. Harrel now broke in upon them, "'eager to be informed of the truth or falsehood "'of the reports which were buzzed throughout the house. "'Cecilia briefly related to them both the state of her affairs, "'earnestly expressing her concern at the abrupt separation "'which must take place, and for which she had been unable to prepare them,' "'as the circumstances which led to it "'had been wholly unforeseen by herself. "'Mrs. Harrel listened to the account "'with much curiosity and surprise. "'But Henrietta wept incessantly in hearing it, "'the object of a passion ardent as it was romantic, "'lost to her past recovery, "'torn herself, probably for ever, "'from the best friend she had in the world, "'and obliged to return thus suddenly "'to a home she detested.' Henrietta possessed not the fortitude to hear evils such as these, which, to her inexperienced heart, appeared the severest that could be inflicted. This conversation over, Cecilia sent for her steward, and desired him, with the utmost expedition, to call in all her bills, and instantly to go round to her tenants within twenty miles, and gather in, from those who were able to pay, the arrears now due to her charging him, however, upon no account, to be urgent with such as seemed distressed. The bills she had to pay were collected without difficulty, she never owed much, and creditors are seldom hard of access. But the money she hoped to receive fell very short of her expectations, for the indulgence she had shewn to her tenants had ill-prepared them for so sudden a demand. End of chapter 4